Living by the book is our theme for this year. We believe that this is God's Word, uh, the Bible, and uh, that it's a guide for life. So we're taking different topics uh, this year and seeing what the book has to say about it and hopefully changing our life pattern to match up with what the book says. Our series that we're involved in now is called Home Restoration by the Book. We're looking at the Christian home. Uh, we look at the Christian home fairly frequently around here. We're looking at it a little differently this time, hopefully. Uh, we started with the premise that America is in a mess uh, because America is not running our homes by the book. And uh, we want to do something about that one home at a time. We can't fix it with laws and politicians and all of that. We've got to fix it one home at a time. So that's what we're working on here at Northside. Uh, I want to especially thank those of you with the perfect homes that came back this week. Uh, I know it gets kind of boring to hear these things when you've got everything under control and uh, the relationship is perfect and the kids are role models. And uh, it, I thank you for coming back. Uh, just sit there and keep nodding, keep agreeing. Uh, check them off as we go through the list of things and say, yeah, I got that one. Uh, I'm doing that one by the book, so I appreciate it. The rest of us uh, appreciate your support as, as we struggle with some of this. Uh, because a lot of this is very countercultural. A lot of this is not what the world says is the way it ought to be done. And that's one reason it's so hard for us. We're trying to grasp that and uh, trying to live by the book. Uh, last week, we talked about restoring the covenant. We will restore the covenant. We talked about marriage and divorce and very countercultural things. Uh, today, we're going to talk about step number three, uh, which is we will restore the roles. Once again, pretty countercultural, a little style, uh, if you will. Uh, I ask you, or remind you of what I told you last week, kind of listen in the macro. Uh, listen in the, the big picture, uh, and I think you'll have a better time of it. Uh, if you think I'm picking on you personally, uh, you'll have a hard day uh, because uh, some of this may bother you a little bit. Now, if you think I'm picking on you personally, you're wrong. If, if the Holy Spirit and his sword that Josh was praying about, if that's poking you a bit, if that's bothering your conscience a little bit, then you need to decide how to deal with it. And that's what this series is about. We're looking at our lives and seeing how close they are to the book. If they're out of line with the book, uh, we've got to decide if we're going to make some changes or if we're going to stay out of line with the book. Uh, this topic's like that. Some folks don't want to hear what the book has to say. I've talked about this topic before over the years. and I, I'll tell you the truth. I've had folks leave Northside. Over this teaching. I've had folks visiting. Who were looking for a church. And heard this teaching. And decided no I'll go somewhere else. That happens. With the book. Sometimes. And I'd be sorry. I'd apologize. If I had any option. Well I do have an option. The only option really. Is not to just not talk about this. And a lot of churches do that. Just don't bring this up. Because if you talk about this topic, and you've already committed to live by the book, to go to the book for the answers, then you don't have an option. 
You've got to talk about what the book talks about. Uh, we've diagnosed a crisis in America here in this series. We've said we're going to work at it one home at a time. We've committed ourselves to see what the book says about it. So here we go. Uh, let's talk about roles in marriage. Uh, everyone in here has a notion about gender roles. I don't know what yours is. If you've got the he-man masculine idea of we've got to be a cowboy, macho, whatever, and the, the wife has got to stay home and have lots of kids and, and stay barefoot and pregnant and all that, that may be your notion. But everybody's got a notion about gender roles. Here's a favorite one I found just Googling around. I know you can't read this, but that's Clint Eastwood and some modern movie hero. Uh, uh, Anyhow, here's what the words say. I don't know. Uh, Here's what the words say. This is what movie heroes looked like when I grew up. And this is what movie heroes looked like when you grew up. I would cry for you, but real men don't. (laughs) I just like that one. Put it in for just humor. Uh, Notions have changed. Everybody will agree that. Uh, when I was a kid, the, the magazine ads were like the one on the left. Today, magazines are filled with pictures of uh, the most powerful women in business. Things have changed. Uh, you can see the change on TV. Any, any place you look, there's a difference between uh, Leave it to Beaver, the Cleaver family. There's a lot of difference between that and what the modern family that you see on TV is. So there's no arguing that things have changed. So what difference does it make? What difference does it make? Go back to the black one. There you go. Uh, It makes a big difference. What we think about gender roles. I put some quotes on your handout for you. Anthropologist Margaret Mead said, if any human society, large or small, simple or complex, is to survive, it must have a pattern of social life that comes to terms with the differences between the sexes. Okay, She says there are differences between the sexes, and if a society is going to make it, it's got to figure that out properly. It's got to deal with that. It's got to come up with a way of living that acknowledges that and realizes it. Dr. Charles Winnick uh, was a professor, and he, he studied 2,000 cultures, supposedly, that have existed in world history. And he said in all of those, only 55 of them weren't sure about this male-female role. Only 55 of them blurred that and couldn't really figure it out and didn't have it uh, figured out right. And he said none of them lasted more than a few years. The the society blows up if we don't have this role of male and female figured out. This is a huge deal. I miss our teens today. I wish they were all here. Uh, How much they pay attention and retain, I don't know. But this is something they ought to hear. Uh, When it comes marriage time... And if I do the premarital counseling, we talk about this. I want to know what the boy and the girl, what kind of family they grew up in, what they think about gender roles, about who's going to do what. 
and how that's going to work because there is a huge source of a potential problem if they don't have that figured out on the same wavelength. If they come from different families that have a different style of this, it can make huge problems. In fact, this is so important that we need a standard. Just like Margaret Mead said, you've got to figure it out. Now, our, for our standard, of course, the Bible is our first choice. I mean, that's what this series is about, living by the book. So the Bible's our first choice. We're going to look at that quickly, but we're also going to propose an option. And then we're going to come back and try to think through this. So if you can hang through those two things quickly. Now, we're going to go quick because we've talked about all this recently. Uh, we talk about it periodically. In fact, down on the bottom of your handout there, I put a couple of sermon series. If you haven't been here long uh, and you want to hear more of this in detail, uh, you can go check out one of those series. did one in 2012 called... Uh, God's formula for functional families. And then we did one back in 08 that was when God builds a home. And we talked about these roles a whole lot more in there. Uh, so if you want the details or just want to study it some more, go check one of those out, order one. But today I'm just going to go real quickly over it. Uh, we're going to start by describing those two standards. We're going to start with the biblical standard. And it doesn't take long to find the biblical standard. You can't get out of the first chapter of the Bible. Now you sit down with your Bible, open it up, start reading at Genesis 1, and before you're done with chapter 1, you will have found out that men and women are different. That's what the Bible says. It says that God created mankind, verse 27, He created mankind, and He made mankind male and female. Okay? Different. And we know that. Men and women are different. Physically, obviously, we can see that. They're different mentally. Our brains are wired differently. Our brains are different uh, physically. Emotionally. Uh, by our very nature, let's just say it that way. Men and women are different. Now, the Bible goes on to say that men and women have different purposes. He made us different because he has assigned us roles. And if these slides look familiar, I just got them out of last year's sermon about this uh, to remind you that we did talk about it. God designed certain roles for a male and certain roles for a female. Males are designed to lead and love and protect and provide. That's Ephesians 5. We studied that in great detail. We're not, we're not, like I said, I'm going quick. I'm not going to go through and tell you what all those mean. I just want you to see the big picture that men are supposed to be the, the leaders of the home, the spiritual head of the home. They protect the wife. They provide for the family. Women are intended to co complete the man. We talked about in that one, the ones I put down. I put the verses down for you. Submit. We just read that from Ephesians 5. To respect their husband, Ephesians 5.33. To love their husband and children, Titus 2.4. And to manage the home, Titus 2 and verse 5. Now, we used to understand that. When I said that last one, they manage the home. Some of you bristled up a little bit. Oh, that's, that's so old-fashioned. Yeah, it's old-fashioned. Titus said it. He's an old guy. Yeah, that was way back. But it wasn't too many years ago that we acknowledged that. Uh, when I went to high school, we had a thing called home ec. 
That stood for home economics. Girls enrolled in those classes. A few football players enrolled in there just for fun. But mainly girls took those classes. Home economics. Run the home. We can't call it that anymore. Well, we don't teach all of that anymore. We teach some of it, and we call it family consumer science for some reason. Okay? That's from, we're, we're talking Bible here. We're looking at Ephesians and Titus and all that. Different roles. Now, together, the family, husband and wife fulfilling their roles, together, the family perpetuates the plan. The plan goes on. Ephesians 6, 4 says that fathers, that husbands and wives are supposed to bring children up. Bring them up. Raise children. Do it in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Deuteronomy 6, clear back in the Old Testament, God said, this is my plan. You parents have this on your heart. You know what is important in life. And you teach your children that. You teach them that all the time. You teach them that all day. Every time you're with them, you do that. That's your job. That's what works best. Now, do you understand what I'm saying here? This is the biblical pattern. A male has a role, a female has a role, and the family functions and perpetuates things so that the children know those roles and carry on society in a good way. It doesn't work if we don't do it That way it doesn't work as well. Hear me on this. In my neighborhood, I I know a house where the dad is gone. The mother works lots of hours. Got three boys. They show up at different times. They get off the bus, come home at different times. They punch in their number on the garage door. They go in the house and they take care of themselves for hours. Hours. Now... The statistics say, but they may beat the statistics. They may not go to jail. There's a lot better chance they will. They may stay away from drugs. There's a lot better chance they won't. They may not have broken homes. The statistics say the odds are they will. They may avoid all of that. They may grow up to be wonderful young men. But I'm telling you, it's still not the best way to get there. I'm not saying the lady's not trying. I'm not saying she could have avoided it. I'm not saying any of that. I'm just saying if you look at God's plan, here's how it's supposed to work best. This is plan A. A male has a role, a a woman has a role, and in the family together they teach children what they're supposed to be taught so that they grow up to perpetuate Good families. Why in the world we try to get around that, I don't know. Why in the world we try to argue that it doesn't matter for humans? It it amazes me even more when I see that we can figure it out in the animal world. How many of you saw just a couple of weeks ago that came on the radio and TV? Said the, the people in charge of zoos. And taking care of animals have told the Sedgwick County Zoo that you can't have an elephant anymore unless you've got elephants in a herd, in a family unit. You've got to have males and females and kids and they've got to be together. That's the way elephants function best. 
We figured out, they said, you've got to spend millions of dollars to change your exhibit so you can get happy elephants in there. We got that figured out. I read an article not too long ago, speaking of elephants. <laughs> Very rarely get two illustrations on elephants. But I was... <laughs> I remembered I read this story about somewhere over in Africa, these young elephants were just creating havoc. They were tearing up villages and killing people and destroying things and pushing trees over. It was just like a gang. It was a riot. And so they called in the game wardens and said, we've got to do something about this. They said, oh, okay, we know what to do. They went over to another area, got two old bull elephants, brought them over there and put them in with the young bulls. The old bulls taught them how to, uh, to live, how to function. Straightened them out. Okay? They needed a, a dad's influence. We can figure that out in the elephant world. But we say in the human home, it's okay. In New York City, they got a law that if you're going to get rid of rats or skunks or other vermin... That you need to trap them as a family and relocate the whole family. Take them outside of town and put them somewhere else. Folks, I know I'm talking stupid stuff here, but I'm not making it up. Do you get it? I mean, the same people who make up those asinine rules will turn around and tell you, oh, you can have any kind of human family you want. They don't have to be together. You don't need a male and a female. You can break it up. The kids will get through it. Everything will be fine. You can leave the bull out of it. Or now we say you can let two steers raise a family. All right, I'm getting ahead of myself here. That, that, uh, that plan that we're talking about, the ma- male and female with a family, that's the book. That's what works best. I know whether we'll get to that. That's what the book says. All right, that's one option. Now, what about culture? Now, I'm going to read you a couple of things, and you may think they're extreme. That's okay. Think they're extreme. But pay attention. Okay. Modern culture, what they're pushing... And sometimes we lump it under the big turn of the feminist movement or something. But what culture pushes is to blur gender distinctions. Okay? Break down these roles. It's not that important. Okay? Blur it. In fact, here's an explanation by a lady named Susan Moeller, feminist author. She said, a just future would be one without gender. And it, would you get that? Without gender. In its social structures and practices, one's sex would have no more relevance than one's eye color. No assumptions would be made about male and female roles. Childbearing, get this, would be so conceptually separated from child rearing and other family responsibilities that it would be a cause of surprise and no little concern if men and women were not equally responsible for domestic life. Okay? Get rid of gender. Blur that distinction. Get rid of it. Yes, only one can have a child, but that has nothing else to do with raising a child. Okay? Culture also devalues marriage 
and child rearing. Yeah, here's another quote from uh, another feminist author. I think a woman should be on her guard against the trap of motherhood and marriage. Even if she would dearly like to have children, she ought to think seriously about the conditions under which she would have to bring them up. Because being a mother these days is real slavery. If a woman still wants a child in spite of everything, it would be better to have one without getting married. Because marriage is really the biggest trap of all. Okay. Now, like I say, you may think that's extreme. Okay. But that's not my point. That's not... I'm not trying to say that is what every person out there in the culture believes, but it's helpful for us. Now, let's evaluate. Here we go. Here's where you got to start paying attention. we got these two extremes. Well, we don't have two extremes. What we've got is the book. That's not extreme. It's the book. Okay? The book is right here, right in the middle. It is, it, it's God's plan. It's what we're going by. We're trying to live by the book. Now, if you move away to that, away from that, and I admit I've described a pretty extreme uh, position. Let's say we're moving away from what the book says. And let's say we go far enough to get to my extreme position. It'd be outside that wall somewhere probably. Okay, that gender doesn't matter, that marriage doesn't matter, devalue all of that. Okay, now you may not know anybody that believes that. But just get that in your mind, that it's away from the book. It's different from the book. Now, if you got that in your head, try to think about this. If there's anything so opposite the book, I mean completely opposite, where God says in verse 27 of his book, men and women are different, I made them that way for a reason. And there's a position that says men and women aren't different, and there shouldn't be any difference. And the plan of marriage is a bunch of foolishness. And Ephesians 5 is a bunch of foolishness. And Titus 2 is a bunch of foolishness. If there's a position that says that, could we just guess that maybe Satan had something to do with it? Okay. Maybe he's involved there somewhere. Okay. If so, that's what he wants us to believe. Let's call it poison. He wants to kill us. He wants to kill marriages and families and societies. So he's dreamed up this poison that will do that. And everybody in here may say, well, that's just too crazy. Nobody would ever drink that. Here's my question. How much would you drink? Okay. I admit going out there and drinking that whole potion is crazy. Hardly anybody believes that much. But if that's out there... How much would you drink? If that's away from the book, how far would you move? And what culture does is moves us. It pushes us away from what the book says. If going that way is bad for us, how far will we go? Well, some of you think, well, what's he mean here? Well, let me ask you, has society moved that way? We started out looking at old pictures, TV pictures. Has society moved? Oh, yeah. Yeah, society has moved. All right, let me ask you this. How many of you, when I was reading that Bible position and saying, here's what men are supposed to do, here's what women are supposed to do, how many of you felt a little queasy? 
thought, is he really saying that in 2013? That sounds kind of old-fashioned to me. How many of you thought, that sounds kind of ancient to me? I guarantee you there was somebody in here that thought, man, I am glad my friend so-and-so wasn't here today. Because they would think my preacher was a chauvinist pig. All I was doing was reading Bible. So have we moved? Has society moved? Has the church moved? Admit it. We have. Society's moved a long way, and many of us have moved right along. I started this series a few weeks ago talking about my childhood. You remember how weird that was? Some of the things I told you? I mean, our teens were just sitting there looking at me like, really? I told you, I didn't know any kids that had divorced parents. I told you, every kid that I went to school with, basically, we'd stop to get them at their house, and their mom would wave goodbye to us, and she'd be there when we came home. Hardly anybody's mom worked. So a lot of families still just had one car. It was all they needed. They got by fine. I think, just this personal opinion, now I'm not reading the book, personal opinion, I think that worked better. I'm not saying we've got to go back to it or we could go back to it or it's even possible. I'm just saying it worked better. And I'm not talking about getting to heaven. Some of you are sitting there thinking, well, he's being awful judgmental. I'm not talking about getting to heaven. You can get to heaven doing all sorts of crazy things. We're talking about how to restore the home. And one of the things that the book talks about is the proper roles for men and women in the family. And the further away we get from the book's plan, the worse things work. The closer we stay to it, the better things work. Romans 12 and verse 2 may help you clarify this a little bit. Paul said in Romans 12 too, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Don't conform to the pattern of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Do you understand that? If God has a plan, if the book says something, it's not to be mean to us or stifle us or devalue us. It's because it's for our good. His will is perfect. His will is good and pleasing, and we can't understand it if we conform to the world. If I said some of the things I've said outside, if I said some things that I've said here outside in the world, I'd be tarred and feathered. People in the world, and maybe some of you, if you're a lot in the world, you hear this and you think, that can't be what God wants. Paul said, don't conform to the world. Okay, remember we talked about Martin Luther a few weeks ago? How he had the courage to nail his positions to the door? In this series, what I've been asking one home at a time to do is to have that kind of courage, to take that kind of stand. If you see God's will on something and it's different than what you're doing, then do it. Nail it to the door. Promise number one that we talked about, 
was I will be responsible. Somebody's got to stand on the spot and say, I'll take care of this. I'm answerable for it. Promise number two was we will restore the covenant. We've changed the covenant of marriage into a contract that we can just break and change and do whatever we want to, depending on whether we're happy or not. We're going to restore the covenant if we nail that to the door. Today's promise is we'll restore the roles. And I don't know how many here need to nail that to the door, but if you're understanding what I'm talking about, things aren't going perfect, you want to get back to God's way, this may be one of them. All right, how do we apply it? How do we go about this? This is what we've been asking every week. Number one, first, I want you to decide how conformed you are. You got the principle. The book is right here. There's an extreme position that's pulling us that direction, away from what the book says. It's different than what the book says. How conformed are we? How much have we moved that direction? How much have you moved that direction? Well, what am I talking about? How do you decide how conformed you are? Well, let me ask you a few questions. How do you react when you heard what I've just said for 20 minutes? How do you react to hearing Bible? If you bristled up when you heard Bible. If you said, I don't like that. If you said, he's demeaning women. If any of that came through your head, guess what? You're conformed. I'm not saying how much you're conformed, but you're conformed some. And all this is, this has just happened in the last few years. Let me read you a quote. This is from Theodore Roosevelt. Theodore Roosevelt said, no piled up wealth... No splendor or material growth, no brilliance or artistic development will permanently avail avail any people unless its home life is healthy. Unless the average woman is a good wife, a good mother, able and willing to perform the first and greatest duty of womanhood, able and willing to bear and to bring up as they should be brought up healthy children, sound in body, mind, and character, into the woman's keeping is committed the destiny of the generations to come after us. If you hear that as demeaning women, you're conformed. If you're listening and you understand the book, when you hear that you say, he is elevating women to their rightful place. He is telling how wonderful they are and how special they are. Let me ask you another question. What do you teach your daughter about growing up and life and becoming? What do you, what do you teach your daughter? That's a clue to how conformed you are. How many of you tell her, you can be anything you want in the world. You can be an astronaut, you can be president, whatever. But I hope you grow up to be a great wife and mother. Anybody ever tell their daughter that? That never entered your head. You're conformed. What do you teach your son? These are clues, folks. These teach us, they tell us how conformed we are to the world's way. So determine how conformed you are. 
Then second, accept responsibility to change. If you, if you understand, man, I've got away from what the book says. And I want to make sure my home is as good as God can make it. I want to get back toward that. Then you've got to take responsibility. Responsibility to change. Last night I was watching a little TV and studying over some of this. And this commercial came on and I started jotting it down quick. Luckily I, got, I could rewind and get it exactly right. But listen to what this ad said. It got my attention. First line. What if every child was sent on the right path? I said, whoa, that's good. What if every child was sent on the right path? What if every child stayed in school? What if every child got a job? What if every child gave back to the community? What if every child's potential was fulfilled? I was digging it. It was an ad for big brothers and big sisters. It was asking somebody to do the parent's job. Great program. I'm not running it down. It's wonderful that people do that. We need that. We've got to have somebody taking these parents' roles. But do you understand? That's what we advertise on TV now. Wouldn't it be great if we followed God's plan for kids? Well, not the mother-father thing. But if somebody would step in and be mother-father for kids, that'd be really good. That's where we are. Okay. Parents, I want to tell you, that's your job. That ad I just read, that's your responsibility. The culture says, no, you don't have to do that. The government or the school teacher or somebody will take care of it. But you don't have to. Yes, you do. One home at a time. Accept responsibility and get back to the book. Now, I said that like it sounds easy. (laughs) Just figure out how conformed you are and change. Oh, it's not easy. It's really, 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 really hard. Here's four warnings for you if you decide to try. Warning number one, you may have to become less selfish. You want to change from what culture has got us into. You want to get back to the book. You may have to be less selfish. See, there's lots of reasons for moving that way. There's lots of reasons for moving away from the book. And it's not... What some of you are assuming. I know that there are husbands who don't accept their responsibility to provide. They don't work or they don't work hard enough. That's their role. And some of them don't do that. And they force their wife to do something that's not her primary role plus do her primary role. I understand that. I understand there's husbands that it's not that they don't work hard, but they just want so many toys that the wife has got to help buy them. They've got an expectation of having so many things and so much stuff that, man, we both got to work to get this. I know there are wives who think, I want to have it all. You know, I want to be on the cover of Time someday as one of the most powerful women. And I want to have a family and kids. I want to have it all. I'm willing to surrender my child to daycare for a few years so I can have it all. I understand all that. 
I'm telling you, if you really want to get back to the book, you may have to be less selfish. Number two, you may have to live more simply. Feminism isn't the only driver here. There's all sorts of things that Satan's cooked up. Materialism is huge. One of his best. Lust of the eyes. Boy, you see stuff and you want it. Materialism gets us. And if you really want to get back to the book, you may have to live a little more simply. If you, your initial reaction is, man, we couldn't afford to live like the book. Well, if you can't afford it, let me tell you this. Sit down, first, sit down and make up a real budget. I mean, make up a real one. Put in the cost of everything that it costs to, to operate like you're operating now. I've read lots of books. I've seen lots of studies that... I know there's rare exceptions, but in lots of cases, a woman working, what it costs her to do that, what it costs the family to do that monetarily, she kind of breaks even. Okay? And that doesn't even count, figure in, if she stays home and really manages the home. If she's in charge of home economics, you save a lot of money. Okay? Cindy saves us more than I make, I think. You know, I don't know how she does it. She works at that. She knows how. You may have to live more simply. simply. And while I'm on us, we, we tried both ways. I'll confess, we tried both ways. The world got us sometimes. We thought, man, we need to have this. Boys ought to have this. We ought to be able to pay for this. Why don't you go back to work for a while, honey? Yeah, and she, she, people wanted her all the time. We're always offering her jobs. She's great in sales and all that. So people were always calling, would you come to work for me? So it was easy. So, yeah, I'll go try that for a while. We'd try it for a few months. And I'd always end up saying, this isn't working. This isn't as good for the boys. This is costing us more than you're making. You run the numbers on it. This isn't good. And we'd go back to trying it the other way. A few years later, we'd fall off the wagon. Okay. You may have to live more simply if you want to live by the book. Number three, you may have to enter, uh, encounter abuse. The world doesn't like nonconformists. Romans 12, 2 says, don't be conformed. The world says, we'll get you if you don't conform. We will make life tough on you. You've got to endure the media belittling you if you don't conform to the world. You may have friends and family that don't understand. So you're doing what? You're giving up what for this? For what? Number four, you may have to make some big changes. I mean big changes. Hard changes. I've told you before about this man. Let me just... Do it real quickly so you might remember him. He was, he was the most famous preacher in his denomination. Everybody wanted to hear him. Everybody. He was booked for four years. If you wanted him to come to your congregation, you had to get on the list and wait four years. That's how popular he was. He, and he had worked out a family deal that he thought was working. He'd go on the road for two weeks, then he'd come home for two weeks. Go back on the road for two weeks, come home for two weeks. 
His boy was a teenager. He was doing pretty well in school. He thought everything was going great. Then the phone rang. He was on the road preaching. Picked up the phone and it was his wife. She told him she had just had the one in the latest series of arguments with their 16-year-old. And he had told her he wasn't going to do it. Point blank. He was six foot two and he was wearing her down. And so she called her husband. And she said, just simply, I need you. I neither one of them knew that the, the boy was in the next room listening. He, he knew he was pushing things and he didn't know what his dad would do about it. Well, he soon found out. His dad canceled that meeting. He was home the next day. The next day, he put a for sale sign in the front yard. He canceled four years' worth of meetings. He went and found a job at a small church in another state where he could do a job, a small town, small town job of pastoring and spend time raising his son. He did that until his son got through high school and was ready to go to college. When his son got off to college successfully, he said he had returned to the preaching circuit, to evangelism. But things had changed. He, things had passed him by. He couldn't get booked anymore. Nobody wanted to hear him anymore. So he stayed in a small town pastorate. He paid a great price. But because he paid that price, a few years later his son started a thing called Focus on the Family. And he'll tell you today that James Dobson Sr. understood his priorities. He understood what his role was. Now, James Dobson's mother was a godly, a capable woman. But that wasn't her role. She needed help to do what needed to be done. And James Dobson Sr. was willing to bite the bullet, turn away from the crowds, and go home and do the job that only a man can do, being a father. Sometimes it's difficult to follow the book. You've got to make big changes. You've got to endure some abuse. You've got to live more simply. You've got to be less selfish. But God's plan is best. It's sometimes difficult to follow the book. But it's never wrong. Next week, we're going to talk about parenting with purpose. We'll talk about the parenting thing a little bit more. Lesson is yours. If you're here this morning and need to respond to the Lord's invitation in any way, if you need this family's help on anything, we're here at the front. Let's come. Let's stand and sing.